Welcome to the Crossroads podcast hosted by Information Group. We're here to provide you the latest information on infrastructure transactions in the Americas. I'm joined today by two guests. We're speaking with Juan Pereira, our head of research, who will be discussing league tables for the full year 2020. And I'm also joined by Alejandro Padres from Schumann and Sterling, who will be discussing a little bit of how the year was last year and what we have to look forward to in 2021. Everybody knows that the pandemic has had a severe impact on Latin America and made doing business very challenging in the region during 2020. We've had a look at some of the data and we're almost ready to produce our league table report full year. And so here's Juan Pereira to discuss a little bit about what we've seen and what the league tables will show us about activity in the infrastructure and energy space in the region. Hi Juan, how are you? Hi, Jonathan. Thank you for having me here. Juan, you've been compiling the data. You've been receiving submissions for the league tables. We almost have the full deal counts and all of the results. We're not going to reveal the winners on this show, but perhaps we could talk a little bit about some of the numbers that we're seeing at this early stage. In terms of the numbers of deals that have closed, from what I've seen from our preliminary numbers, we're around about where we were in 2018, a little bit down from 2019. How do you see those those numbers? Well, yes, that is correct. We were not in, from a Latin America perspective, uh, both excluding Brazil and including Brazil, we are doing roughly the same or even better than 2018. That's the trend we're seeing and probably it's gonna be confirmed. Probably it's gonna be even better, quite better than 2018. Still not getting to 2019, both in deal count and deal value. 2019 was a record year. For Latin American, excluding Brazil, uh, deal value is going to be roughly there and significantly better than 2018. But for Brazil, there is a a huge drop. There are many things that explain this that we can talk about, but basically we are seeing this. It's something we were expecting, but again, it's not as bad as you could have thought with COVID. There are many reasons about that and... And definitely projects kept being funded all across the region. Energy and, and infrastructure projects both seem to be quite active in 2020. Mm. And I think one of the things that we've seen from the notable deals that appear on the league tables is the size of some of the mega transactions that did close during the year, which shows that there's certainly still a healthy appetite for assets, uh, performing assets, and especially regulated assets in Latin America. I'm thinking about some of the, the Sempra sales of things like Luz del Sur in Peru and Chirquinta in Chile. If you put alongside that the RCO, Red de Carreteras de Occidente sale from Goldman Sachs in Mexico and the other Mexican transport deal, which saw uh, CPPIB and um, OTPD acquiring a stake in Ideal. Uh, those are multi-billion dollar deals. And that certainly helped to, to bring up the deal value, hasn't it? For sure. I mean, we had some deals. Uh, this is also how infrastructure works. Maybe uh, we have a lag on the on the impact of COVID, at least for 2020. And many of these deals were already agreed before. RCO, as you mentioned, is a very massive highway deal in Mexico that was already agreed last year. Uh, Chilquinta and Luz del Sur, both big utilities, Peru and Chile, agreed last year. Uh, so all these projects were already agreed, but Rich Financial closed in this year. So for a league table purposes, it will enter into this year. For next year, yeah. 
yes, there are some a couple of deals that are pending to close that are already agreed, but we don't see that many. And I think the impact of slow procurement in 2020 and 2019 is going to be to start to show probably in the next year, in, in the next couple of years, we don't have that many greenfield activity, at least in the pipeline. And, and that is also something we can see in the data. Another thing you were talking about notable deals. Yes, we have some interesting deals. But in previous years, we used to have one deal that was the landmark deal, and that was usually a Brazilian project. For instance, in 2019, we had the tag sale, the Transportadora Social de Gas, which was a massive $8.7 billion privatization project that was a notable deal, both for the region and globally. This year, we're not seeing any project of the Latin American deals to enter into a threshold of top 10 deals by value in the, in the world, and that shows that Probably, I think this shows that the privatization process in Brazil were not as relevant as we maybe would have expected a couple of years ago. But still, I mean, there are some deals. Like we were talking about those deals that are still important, the MNAs we were talking about, but still not from a global perspective. It's not maybe we don't have that landmark deal. And I think that's probably what impacted the global numbers in general as of deal value that we're seeing compared, for instance, with 2019 or, or even 20, 2020. So we've seen the number of greenfield PPPs falling since 2017, when we saw 27 deals closed worth around $10 billion. In 2020, that number fell to around 16 deals worth almost $5 billion. Juan, do you see that there's been a change in the types of deals that have been closing in terms of more M&A deals versus Greenfield deals? Yes, for sure. I mean, M&A is, is something we have seen that it has been quite active. We have already talked about big M&A deals. Also, refinancing. So refinancing. The refinancing market has been quite active, especially on some markets, Chile, Uruguay, Peru, all those who had some kind of refinancing activity, even Mexico. Um, but not so much in Greenfield. Obviously, we always say the same thing. To have a Greenfield project be funded, we need projects. So if the pipeline project is not feeding the market, that is something that there's nothing the market can do itself. I mean, if the, if the government of Mexico decides not to tender much PPPs, okay, that's something the market is going to have an impact and our data is going to reflect that. Uh, I honestly think that we haven't seen the worst yet. And this is because also Chile has slowed down its procurement, even though it spiked up a little bit in, in 2020, but it has significantly slowed down the procurement under the new government while they were settling things up. And... And Argentina didn't end up doing a, a successful PPP program. Uh, Uruguay is already almost capped on the amount of PPPs they can tender. Peru has not picked up on the on the procurement side. So we're not seeing any kind of PPP projects moving forward. However, that being said, we have to admit that as a percentage of projects, transport is more relevant in Latin America than in, as a global perspective. Energy is more relevant, energy power and renewables, even though it's quite relevant in LATAM, as a global number, it's more relevant there. So we're still a transport-based, I mean, I mean, even though it's not the, the most significant one, these deals are still showing up there. And I think that this is because we still have these M&As that are quite relevant, right? Airports, but especially roads. We're seeing a lot of roads being sold and, and refinanced. And I think that's something, that's why we have a slightly higher in comparison number of transport deals to the entire world. Excellent. Well, Juan, thank you very much. I'll let you go to, to finish off compiling the data, and we look forward to seeing that report published next week. Thank you. Hopefully next week, for sure. <laughs> I'd like to bring in then Alejandro Padres from Sherman & Sterling. Alejandro, thanks for coming on the program. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Alejandro, Sherman & Sterling performed very well. I, I think we'll see you guys 
quite high up the league tables for 2020. And you worked on some very significant deals, uh, RCO, uh, Cometa, and Savi financings in Mexico, and the AES Panama Generation Holco refinancing as well. How was the year for Shearman and Sterling, and, and how did you adapt to, to the new reality in, in Latin America? Well, you know, it was it was definitely an interesting year, uh, not a year without its challenges, of course. Um, we're quite happy at uh, what we've accomplished within the sort of confines of the COVID-19 pandemic and the havoc it has wrought throughout the world, um, and particularly in Latin America. But as you noted, you know, we were involved in some significant transactions that were in the market, um, Mexico, Central America, and South America. And, you know, think that's a testament to a couple of things. One, you know, the strength of the financiers and the developers that you know, wanted to get projects or transactions off the ground from M&A and refinancing to, you know, uh, financings outright to, you know, the teams that were assembled and were able to, I would say, nimbly uh, accomplish all of that you know, from the comfort or discomfort in some cases of their own homes. So that I think it's, it's, it's been a positive year for, for the firm, for our group. And we are excited for what uh, 2021 has in store for us. I think, you know, memorably, the RCO transaction was, you know, one of those that had taken some time to come get off the ground um, initially several years back. And our clients are, I think, excited to, you know, pursue this in earnest. And, and we were happy to be able to assist them in doing so, not just signing as indicated last year, but then achieving the closing um, as well. As for challenges, it was, you know, in terms of adapting, I think COVID took the world by surprise. And I'm quite impressed by how our, the, the, not just the legal industry, but also the um, everybody involved in the infrastructure industry, if you will, at large, was so adept at adjusting to the new reality and maintaining a semblance of continuity in transactions and in development of projects throughout the region. Mm, excellent. And in terms of the, the deals that got closed, I wonder if there's anything you noticed about which deals closed and maybe which deals took longer or, or are going to drag over into 2021. Was there any trend there? in what perhaps lenders had more appetite for financing and what they were perhaps more cautious towards financing? Yeah, you know, my impression is that when it came to the liquidity financings or transactions, when it came to refinancings and reprofilings, those I think were met with greater attention because of the pressing nature of you know the underlying circumstances so trying to ensure no defaults no cross defaults and things of that nature was i think paramount for both lenders and for corporates throughout the region i think that early on in the pandemic together with understanding supply chain logistics and the impact of supply chain logistics throughout the construction industry was uh, of note um, in particular understanding the concentrated geographic risk of suppliers or service providers and how that can be detrimental to projects in, in the early stages or in the construction phase. So I think that okay. was something worth highlighting. 
in terms of what got held up, I think, you know, as Juan was noting, M&A transactions, although several did successfully close, you know, several remained in process, right? Because the pandemic has had, you know, some consequences to the ability of the parties to not just consummate, but also to diligence, review, and, and, and you know, find comfort with whatever the, the financial indicators are for, for the underlying business. So I think by an industry basis, you may see as well a little bit of skewing, you know, hospitality versus, you know, renewables. So I think that those are the deals that I think have, have probably been more susceptible of delay. And then greenfield projects that are just starting out, I think there we've seen on both sides of the equation, both the financiers and the developers, not reevaluate, but be more considerate in evaluating when to go to market all within the constraints of you know concessions and you know milestones that need to be met under you know their contractual arrangements so i think we've seen a little bit of everything honestly okay i think it's a very interesting point what you mentioned about maybe the hospitality industry a lot of countries in latin america certainly depend heavily on tourism as a, a source of revenue places like mexico places like the caribbean in particular um, we've seen mexico and and i'm thinking particularly of cancun proposing you know, tourist bridges to, to link the resorts in Cancun to a city in the mainland. You know, those kind of projects and a lot of other transportation projects, especially in the airport sector, they will have had a, a real problem in, in, as you said, performing due diligence and projections to, to try and estimate what kind of revenues they'll be having in the future. Because while we're advancing towards a vaccine and hopefully light at the end of the tunnel in terms of the pandemic, it's still very difficult to, to say with any kind of surety what time and when the, the pandemic will end and we'll be able to go back to our normal behavior. So I'm sure that's going to be an issue for projects in the future, whether that's the kind of projects that people have already tendered and are looking to finance, or whether that's projects that perhaps are on the horizon in people's portfolios. I think that's accurate. I think that the reality is anybody invested in these industries is looking at the longer term fundamentals not the short term realities and adversity you know is a trigger for creativity and that's what we're seeing across the board creative solutions in terms of the energy markets and especially thinking of renewables here a lot of those projects uh, were very necessary for a long time energy consumption dipped significantly during the pandemic and remains lower than at previous levels. But how do you see that industry changing? We're also seeing a kind of technological shift as a lot of the oil majors start to declare that they want to invest more in renewable technology. There's the dawn of a lot of storage capacity being added to renewable projects and other generation facilities. And there's also the, the dawn of perhaps green hydro as a, a source of energy for, for some countries. Do you see that that changed much in, in 2020, and there's perhaps prospects of, of different kinds of deals we might see in 2021? Yeah, definitely. I think that it may not be that we see deals closing in 2021 in these um, 
in these technology sectors, if you will, or subsectors. But I think that there is greater interest in pursuing them. I mean, Chile stands out as uh, one of the countries that is focusing on green hydrogen, and projects are starting to be uh, pursued, I think, with more fervor. And so one would expect those to be part of the more mainstream conversation in 2021. Uh, it, it is unclear to me whether or not any of those projects are at a stage that would likely achieve a financial close in 2021, not due to COVID reasons, but more because it is sort of incipient um, in the region. With storage, you know, I think same thing, there's been experimental usage of storage in some countries and, and Chile comes to mind, but not at a sort of widespread level. Um, we've seen more battery storage, I think, in the US than in Latin America. And that's not to say that it won't gain traction. I think it will. I think there are, you know, there are just simply logistical and infrastructure demands that necessitate the, you know, implementation of those technologies. It's just, I think it's on the brink of the horizon, if that makes any sense. You know, the one area where I'm starting to, you know, we've had a couple of conversations with some of the private equity firms is biomass, right? They're looking at biomass and, and wondering, you know, when is that going to be further developed in LATAM and, and what is there um, available? And the reality is that's another area that is still sort of in early stages and there's been episodic development of biomass, but not in a way that is fully embraced in the way that the more traditional renewables have, you know, solar and wind in the region. And if we look back, solar and wind have only really been part of the discussion in Latin America and more or less the last 10 years, um, maybe 12. But before that, it was really just experimental at, at, at best. So I think that we're on, we are on the brink of the horizon uh, to start seeing these be part and parcel of more mainstream conversations. And we'll start seeing projects being sort of brought to market early stages for socialization, if you will. Okay. And that, that leads on to another interesting point. Um, you know, we're starting to see mentions of potentially offshore wind projects in Latin America, in Brazil, and most recently as well in Colombia. So I'm, I'm curious to see if that will continue a, a trend this year as well. Now, you talked about the, the kind of the moment in terms of the development of projects, in, especially in renewables. Uh, they've come a long way in Latin America. Chile is certainly a, a global leader in terms of the implementation of renewables projects. As the market matures, as the original equity investors look perhaps for an exit for their portfolios, we are seeing a lot of new investors coming into the market as well. A lot of Chinese money is coming in, trying to, to find project portfolios. And yeah. a lot of Europeans and Americans as well have been trying to buy projects and, and portfolios in the region. So I'm wondering if you if you see anything changing in that sense in terms of the, the stage we're at with the development of those technologies and the types of investors who will perhaps be looking for an exit and also looking to come into the market to acquire ready-made projects. I think it's a natural progression of any market. And I think we saw that you know, my career started, you know, in Mexico with the CFD independent power producer program. And the first generation or iteration, I should say, of that program was, you know, the Greenfield Investment in Financing. 
Then came the equity investments to strategic partners. Then came the sale of assets, you know, refinancings in between and the like. And I think that the renewable sector in Latin America has, you know, officially reached that level of maturity, if you will, where it's become, I don't want to say commodity, but it's become a, 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 an asset, a tradable asset, if you will. And we have seen investments uh, uh, from the Chinese, as you indicated, they've picked up the Zuma assets, and that was, you know, a remarkable transaction. And it's an indicator of a geographic interest, if you will, of Chinese investors in the renewable sectors. They've been traditionally EPC contractors and suppliers for panels in Mexico. So this, you know, indicates to me, you know, that next level of progression. We do see them involved throughout the region and, and looking for opportunities. And I think that that you know, will continue. We've personally been involved in the sale of equity stakes to strategic investors for portfolios of uh, renewables projects in the region. And you know, the portfolio or portfolioization, if you will, of renewables also speaks to the ever thinning margins in that sector of the power industry. So it is, it sort of parcels up these multiple projects and prepares them quite nicely, I think, for strategic equity investors down the line. And one final question, if you'll allow it. We obviously saw a lot of activity in Mexico in the past. The current government has now been there for several years, and they initially were a little bit wary of private investment. They, they weren't particularly fans of, of the kind of profits they saw private companies making from infrastructure. At the end of last year, we did see the government coming forward and discussing efforts that it had made alongside the private sector to move forward certain projects which would require private investment. Now, if we parallel that with Brazil, where there seems to be an absolute just fire sale of so many of the government's assets under the PPI program, alongside numerous large-scale opportunities in the transportation sector, uh, and other sectors beyond that. Do you see Brazil continuing that trajectory to, to do much more business and Mexico perhaps coming back? Or, or do you see Mexico still being a little bit reluctant to engage with private investors for infrastructure projects? You know, I think that's a great question. It's a difficult one to answer. I, I will tell you on the Mexico side, you know, it's unclear given the current administration's view generally and the fact that there's still some time to go before this administration leaves office that indicates to me that that change is probably not going to be as, as immediate as we would like it but i do think it will be inevitable and by inevitable and i'm speaking specifically in the power industry the fact that the Mexican courts have pronounced themselves quite firmly against some of the measures that have been taken and rules and regulations that have been promulgated by the AMLO administration is a good indicator, right, of the sort of pro-business environment that the courts believe Mexico has, but they are going cross-current with an administration that has a different view. Um, for a variety of reasons, and I think they're well known in the market. So I think it's the sort of the contrast of those two forces that'll give us the result, and it's unclear as of yet where we'll end up. I personally think that we will overcome 
this more limited view of a private industry in Mexico and you know, have to reconcile the fact that there is a need to cooperate and collaborate. And hopefully that will prevail over you know, the personal views of, of the administration when it comes to private industry. With respect to Brazil, I think it's, it's equally as complex, but maybe for um, somewhat different reasons, which is you know, this fire sale that you mentioned, I think, is driven in large part due to, one, the need for liquidity at, you know, <laughs> as a fiscal matter, and then uh, two, you know, the unwieldy efforts required to administer these assets. And I, I say that only because I think that this presents an opportunity for the, these sales present an opportunity for the Brazilian government to, to kill two birds with one stone, right? It's, it's shored up its finances while at the same time offloading the administration of, you know, these complex networks of pipelines and, and other assets. Um, and the issue is driven in part because I think, you know, fiscally, the country is a little bit in trouble. They're, at last check, I think they were at a debt to GDP ratio sort of around 90%, which is extremely high. Um, I think it's extremely high, you know, globally. And that, you know, presents problems, right? And if they don't shore up those public finances quickly, there's going to be, you know, a problem when it comes to IMF and other organizations. And investors. So I think that's what's driven it. And I, I would expect that there would be some more of that to come. And that's a good way to, to end the conversation as well. I, I think, you know, Colombia has made some mention of possible privatizations this year. We've thought about companies like ISA, Conexión Eléctrica, uh, and their enormous business uh, internationally in both the transportation and the electricity sector. So that's going to be interesting to see if that plays out as well as they seek to, to fill their fiscal deficit. Alejandro, thank you so much for coming on the show. Juan, thank you so much for your participation. Thank you, sir. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we look forward to seeing you on the next edition of the Crossroads podcast.